Hello and welcome to the Vorthos Cast. I'm Janelli, and you can find me in a San Diego Comic Con promo, standing in front of Bolivar, smoking a explosive cigar. Hi, I'm Andrew Weissel. You can find me in a San Diego Comic Con promo, standing in front of a stained glass window of Ram, because we are both terrible mothers. Hi, I'm Carrie Thomas, and you can find me in front of a stained glass gazebo. It's Manatarka, disguised on Gastal, but, you know. <laughs> it's so obscure. <laughs> <laughs> I was so disappointed when I looked into Manatarka, and she literally is only there for, like, less than a chapter. I thought I was getting esoteric with mine. I just got upstaged like <laughs> nobody's business. Carrie, that was, yeah, that was, that was good. Okay. We didn't have a story this week, so we're going to cover some other stuff that we Happy found. Happy birthday, America! Happy birthday, America. Uh, we're going to cover some other stuff we want to talk about. The first of which is we have a Patreon now. We want to make sure to note that this is not going to affect the weekly podcast we put out. That's still going to be coming out for free, whether or not you decide to support us on Patreon. The Patreon money is essentially just going to support this cast, the hours we put into it. We have a couple of reward tiers, so if, if you pledge $1 a month, you get an invite to the Vorthos Cast Discord chat. We also, right now, are going to have a second tier, a $5 tier, and that'll get you access to a shorter monthly episode that will be exclusive to Patreon supporters. And it's just going to be something small, uh, just a single topic, Vorthos thing that we dig into in a short but deep discussion. So a little bonus content if you want to chip in and support the show a little more. We appreciate any donations you would like to give to our show. It's supporting us in our endeavor to bring the broad and exciting and the deep and esoteric Vorthos topics to the community. And we appreciate you whether or not you support us. So, let's talk about the San Diego Comic-Con promos that were revealed this past week. They were pretty cool. They were pieces by Therese Nelson that are... Nielsen? God, I'm the worst. That uh, showed the Origins 5 Planeswalkers each in front of a stained glass window of a pre-mending planeswalker that was central to the story at one point or another. Kelly Diggs wrote all these art descriptions because he is very clever. Allison Lures was very inspired by them as well and put together a whole thread on Twitter that we will link to on our Twitter, kind of uh, just talking about the symbolic pairings between each of these current planeswalkers and, and older planeswalkers. So we have uh, Gideon of the Trials, which depicts Gideon in front of Sarah. I'm just going to read uh, what Allison wrote, so if you don't have Twitter, you're just getting the same words that you would find there. Allison wrote, Gideon is paired with Sarah. He strives to live his life according to the ideals of justice, as she did. He will always be a fighter, though, and his face shows his doubts. Did Sarah do enough to directly face evil? Then Jace gets paired with Urza, who is a big jerk. So Allison writes, Jace doesn't know much about Urza, but he knows that he saved the world by manipulating thousands and sacrificing millions. To Jace, Urza is a cautionary tale. His back is facing Urza in this piece, an active rejection of all that Urza stood for, which is appropriate because Urza was a jerk. You should always reject Urza's strategies and manipulations every opportunity in your life. Jace does a good job there. It was uh, Jace Cunning Castaways card, by the way. We have uh, Liliana's new card from Core Set 2019. And Allison writes, Liliana stands in front of Nicol Bolas. She is a ruthless heroine, and though his influence looms large, her hands are alight with her own power. Liliana desires the control. His overlapping figure refuses to secede. Uh, as we know from the story, uh, Liliana and Bolas are very much entangled with each other through the Chainveil plot and the Demon Packs, and now she's his involuntary minion, and it's a whole mess. So seeing them kind of struggle on that card is neat. 
I think my favorite one is the Chandra Torture Defiance promo. Yes. Chandra stands shoulder to shoulder with the stained glass image of her mentor, Jaya Ballard. Theirs is easily the friendliest relationship, as they know each other personally. There's nothing but loving companionship in Chandra's stance in this piece. I like that it's positioned so that they're like equals, because Chandra spent her whole life learning pyromancy, wishing she could go on adventures with Jaya and do stuff like that. And now she is. And now she literally is. But it's also fun because that the promo depicts the younger Jaya Ballard based on her look from her Time Spiral card. So that's her in her early Planeswalker days. And then finally, we have Nyssa is next to Freylise. Freylise was ruthless in her defense of Elvenkind and the natural world. Nyssa used to feel the same way, but has come to realize interconnections are more valuable than ferocity, and that nurturing connections will preserve harmony. It was a big shift that Nyssa had in the story World Waker. What was that magic? 2015. Where she realizes that she can't just fight the Eldrazi menace on her own. She has to actually unite and work together with the rest of Zendikar as one big natural army against the invaders. You know, that's a really important story that it's always a shame kind of got. It's lost in the shuffle because it explains the different Nyssa between Zendikar and Battle for Zendikar. Yeah, there are a lot of stories like that in that storytelling era that are very important to character development of main characters that I wish got more attention. Yeah, all these promos are cool. You can get them if you're going to be at San Diego Comic-Con. You can get them at the booth. Teresa will be there to sign them if you want to get them super duper fancy. There are some that get released on the Hasbro Toy Shop website sometime later this year, and they usually sell out in a day. People love Therese Nielsen's art, so good luck getting these outside of San Diego Comic-Con. And I mean that like as sincerely as possible, not as a snide. Well, good luck, <laughs> because I'm going to try and get them also, and ugh, we'll see. What's also super neat is that Therese illustrated a lot of these pieces using former cosplayer Christine Sprankle as a model. You can see the Chandra, Liliana, and Nissa's are very much Christine's face. Um, and, and that's really, it's really neat from an artistic perspective, seeing an artist get to actually illustrate a card using a cosplayer as a model. That's very helpful for artists. And I think is a very fitting tribute to Christine, who has now left the Magic community because of awful harassment, because some people are terrible. I think Ruben Bressler on Magic Mike's last week said it best. Each of these cards shows a current Planeswalker in front of the legacy of a past Planeswalker, but that this promo set for the community is kind of the stained glass legacy of Christine's impact. You look at where Magic cosplaying is now compared to when, you know, Christine first showed up as Elspeth all those years ago. She was just someone who really brought cosplay to the forefront of the Magic Grand Prix and Pro Tour experience and who always pushed cosplayers to level up and get excited. These cards that all get to depict her technically in some way, I think is very fitting tribute to her legacy in the community. Agreed. They're really good pieces. I like the symbolism on both a meta level and uh, like Andrew was just saying. So let's move on to listener questions. So the first question comes from Kuhn Sanguin on Tumblr. Their question was, one of the things that I was struck by in Dominaria was the seeding for future stories. Nyssa, Karn, and Teferi got very prominent missions and story potential. Would you ever consider listing hypothesizing where the story may go? So we'll talk about this in a little bit of detail, but there are a lot of places the story's probably going to go in the near future. Uh, once the Bolas plotline is wrapped up, it's likely going to explode out in a number of directions for a bunch of reasons. Uh, the first is Nyssa and exploring her potential with Emrakul and that rivalry with Obnixilis. Nyssa left Dominaria to go back to help rebuild Zendikar. And honestly, I'm not entirely sure where they're going to be taking that. The issues surrounding Emrakul are very 
not contentious, but everyone has a very different idea of where things are going. Like every, I don't want to say prominent Vorthos, but everyone out there basically has a different idea of where where this whole Emrakul plot's going to go. My personal idea is that Emrakul was broken by the Mending and is supposed to be a rebuilder of Dead Worlds. So I wonder if Nyssa returning will be bringing some of that rebirth power with her to Zendikar, and we might find Emrakul in a less antagonistic light. Or maybe the, her power will just be used to help speed up uh, Zendikar's recovery. As for Obnixilis, I have no idea. So Obnixilis had a big fight with Nissa directly in the Colony Heart, and then found the rest of the Gatewatch later, where they were eventually saved by Chandra. But Obnixilis leaves Zendikar, saying he's going to scour the plains for anything he can find to help him get his revenge on these meddling kids. Uh, pretty much. <laughs> um, so he already has the bickering with Nyssa. He already wants revenge on Zendikar and potentially Nahiri. And we don't know what she's up to. And she might come back to Zendikar and find out it's not dead. And I don't, there's a lot of tangential things related to Zendikar that could all be woven into a single set. Obnixilis is a big part of that especially next to Nyssa and her return to her home. The Gatewatch had assembled that whole Hedron trap for Ulamog, and Ab had taken the power, and Ab rewarded them by imprisoning them and torturing them. So maybe since you, you listening right now, took the Hedron out of Ab's head, He's coming after you next. <laughs> I know nice. Andrew loves the you being in the canon. So. It is. We're canon. <laughs> Everyone out there is canon because of Duels of the Planeswalkers. Duels of the Planeswalkers 2015 is the story being referenced here, where you are the Planeswalker who took yeah, the Hedron out of uh, Ob's head. It's great. All right, so moving on. Karn is an interesting case because we he, clearly he's going back to New Phyrexia. That's a, a plot line that's laid fallow for over five years now, I think. It'll be good to return. Karn has the Silex, which he has gotten with the intent to use it to destroy New Phyrexia. But there's another character who also has a new artifact that might come in handy for the plot line with New Phyrexia, and that's Tezzeret. So when I mentioned earlier that the Bolus plotline being wrapped up can send the plot in a number of different directions is Tezzeret, once free of Bolus, maybe not the safest, but the place he is most likely to be able to gain leverage is with New Phyrexia, which he was already had infiltrated and had a rather high position for a non-completed person in the hierarchy there. Yeah, somehow attending. Yeah, if he shows up with the Planar Bridge, which, since Phyrexians are all kind of undead anyway, that's a whole lot of leverage for him, and uh, he can direct them to his enemies, which is something I absolutely can see Tezzeret doing at this point. If you're asking where Karn's story is going to go, it's obviously going to go to New Phyrexia, and expect New Phyrexia to maybe not be there anymore. I think we've talked about that already, too. Yeah. Yep. Teferi is an interesting one, because his plotline is hinting as, at that apocryphal legacy the Urza artifacts that he think can help him restore Zalfir, and there's no reason to think that Urza Planeswalker uh, had left all of these devices on just Dominaria. We already learned from Dominaria's story that Urza did not play fair, so it's entirely possible he hid them on other planes. Which he did with the Legacy, also. So, there's precedent for that. Right, there are pieces. The, the Legacy's a, a weird thing. It's it's the, the same problem that Carrie talked about a few weeks ago with Mastermind villains. The Legacy was just kind of like an Easter egg hunt of random crap he'd picked up over the years. Not really that much of a master plan, it didn't seem like. But um, yeah, expect Teferi's story to center around restoring Zalfir once the Bolas immediacy is, is, is addressed. Today... With Core 2019 v revisiting Elder Dragon lore from the 
like one or two official sentences that existed about it before. We wanted to take a moment and have Carrie discuss their hierarchy of canon, which is a very useful tool for understanding how canon works when it's coming from a big franchise like Magic, especially when a whole lot of different people are writing lore tidbits and why a third-party survey blurb may not be the most accurate <laughs> depiction of a character. So, Carrie, go yeah. for it. I had been introduced to any kind of hierarchy. You kind of have it as an idea of how it should work personally when you're getting into the story because you know some things aren't canon and some things are canon. But I had been introduced it to by Kelly Diggs, who had mentioned the holocron in passing to me, which is how Lucasfilms keeps track of their canon more or less and they have like different rankings within that but this is my personal take on it it's not anything official it is what trends across the last decade have indicated towards which is that mostly magic story ends up on top magic story as the article and column outlet it's been around for quite a few years as the main storytelling outlet so that kind of gets spot number one, but alongside it, you kind of have anything that's major and recent on the official Magic website, which is any Planeswalker profiles that thrown up there. Will and Rowan, once they eventually get a play page, will join that rank. But right below that, you have pretty much everything from the last era, which is the novels, the art books more or less, including the art of the Magic of the Gathering and Alara Planeswalker's Guide. Anything not too recent on the Magic site, like Savor the Flavor, which was a very popular column written by Doug Bayer, and mini sites, comics, web comics that existed. It was most of the stuff pre-Origins that some of Origins had contradicted or written upon to tell the current magic story. So most of it is perfectly fine, and then there are some nuances to it. But in most cases, anything that's said in magic story trumps anything that was said in a novel six, seven years ago at this point. We have third layer. Social media accounts and Duels of the Planeswalkers slash any other miscellaneous games. The social media accounts were more popular in the past few years, but have kind of trickled out. But we're talking about the Hanweir Chronicle primarily, as that was a good side story to follow up on, but it never really intersected with the main magic story, and people who were composing that we're working with the creative team to do so, and we're working with creative assets like the art that they had commissioned, but it wasn't intersecting with the main story, so it didn't have the same kind of needs or importance that the main story had. And then the Duels franchise, kind of in the exact same vein. You had Duels of the Planeswalkers 2012-2013 that were really... A mishmash of story stuff. Duels 2012 had notable screen um, loadings that had a little bit of story blurb on them, but it was when Duels 2014, 2015, and Duels Origins came out that you actually got to see campaigns that were following along canon events, sometimes having you interact with them, but they were going along with the franchise and they were explaining stories that were ultimately supplemental to what you were seeing in the sets, but didn't exactly need to have that same priority that the main set stories had, yeah. And then below that, we have um, approaching word of God, which is a term that is thrown around in a lot of story or any kind of fandoms, where it is the author commenting on the work specifically. So things that are said in Magic Story podcasts, um, creative team off-site comments, where they are not on the mothership saying these things, they are on Twitter or Tumblr or commenting on forums. And it makes it even, com. <laughs> yeah, it makes it even worse if they were not on the creative team and they were authors who were 
working alongside the creative team but didn't have all the access to like the knowledge base. Anything said in panels and inside R&D videos, they're recorded. Yes, they are certainly not the most accessible materials out there, and nobody's really crying if they're contradicted. They kind of get contradicted more often than not because it's based on these people's recollections in the moment when they are making these comments, and for card of the day, it's not known to be run by very, very um, involved creative team members. It is trivia on the cards. There have been some exceptions to that, but we'll get to that later. And the very, very last level is stuff that really didn't have the creative team involvement at all, which are feature articles. Usually, there weren't many cases where it wasn't that. Packaging text. Anything you really read inside of a player's guide is written by not creative team members as far as we know. We know that they don't really get any kind of oversight over those materials, and we know that they don't really have a say over whether they have oversight over those materials, so it's not a they're not willing to do it, it is they do not have the permissions to do so. And anything that has been retconned in the past, anything that has been partially retconned in the past, and unsupported games, which is my favorite subcategory in here. <laughs> But retcon materials and partially retcon materials, test of metal is most of all contradicted in, and it's kind of the most notable, most notably contradicted material that has been put out in the last decade because it was a full length novel where the events are pretty much entirely undone by one one line in the story catching up where Jason and Liliana hadn't seen each other. But for the most part, it's just stuff that you kind of don't talk about in the community. <laughs> and there are many, many communities that kind of have this kind of emotion to them where they have one thing that they know exists, but they don't want to talk about. And then I guess the last layer is Mark Rosewater. And I think <laughs> he comments on his blog. I love him. And I think everybody in the Magic community loves him for his transparency. But he is not a creative team member. And... He's gotten a lot better about it in recent years, but he had some pretty contentious takes around Origins to Shadows over Innistrad. When the creative team was kicking off with the newest model, he was answering a boatload of questions about the creative stuff and hit or miss at best. <laughs> yeah, the issue is, especially for like R&D team members who are not in creative, they don't always know where ideas end up. So ideas may have started in one place, or ide certain ideas may have been bandied about, but by the time the finished product comes out, they're always not sure of the fine details. Yes, Mark Rosewater most infamously did this with the nexus of the multiverse being shifted to Ravnica, was one of the proposed endings um, he had stated. It was one of the proposed endings for the Return to Ravnica block. It did not happen, but he said it, believing that that was the case and then was informed later and made a apology and like not an apology a correction <laughs> you don't have to apologize <laughs> for being wrong when you're working on the inside that was the most notable case but why it matters to have a hierarchy in the first place is it helps us track the issues as they come up which is what we were doing during dominaria saying this is said in the magic story it's a minor thing and it doesn't really have that much of an impact, so sure, why not? This is a minor thing, and it does have a bit of an impact, which we'll get to, I believe, when we wanted to comment on Yavamaya and its <laughs> impact with the Silex. The art book brought up another issue there in that Karn's dig site was Koilos, which was fine because Yavamaya had extended out to Koilos, and that's where he was digging up the Silex, apparently. But uh, then why did Chandra, like, cross several miles of water to get to him? <laughs> Again, and this is where the ranking helps, because we don't want to undo Magic Story that came out a month or two ago just to fit in with the art book, so the art book's at a lower level. And it's like, 
we kind of are left as yeah. a community to resolve these issues as our own. And that's another big point of why it's important to have the hierarchies is having discussions. Um, when things are on equal ground, or there's a lot of evidence piling against something that happened in Magic's story, then people can discuss it and can try to elicit a response from wizards to say one way or the other. It doesn't always get that response, but it lets us see how legitimate the changes that are being made are and if they were intentional or not. Because there have been some cases where they weren't intentional and they were able to walk them back successfully. The final point for me is what are the exceptional cases? comes down to, and it's difficult to say because they literally are on case-by-case basis for how these things have occurred. Miri's Eyes is a case of community recording something that would have probably nowadays been defaulted to a different aspect. So Miri's Eyes throughout the entire novel once she appears, um, Wrath and Storm, are stated to be green. In the art book, she's stated to have two differently colored eyes, and now the official word as of the Commander release that had featured Miri is that she has two differently colored eyes, but then on top of that, her art in that Commander release does not have two differently colored eyes, so we're kind of just flip-flopping between whatever resources we want to at that point. But that came about because the wiki had actually recorded that detail from the art book instead of recording the detail that she has green eyes from the novel, which is pretty unexceptional, to be honest. It's just figuring out who knows what and who is recording what, and that plays a lot into how the future of story knowledge shapes out. The second instance is community doubt. As soon as Test of Metal came out, people didn't have a very, very solid stance on it. It made no sense. And it kind of went against everything that had built up, been built up over the last few years of magic storytelling. So people doubted it. And over time, it got chipped away. First in the comic that had released shortly after its release, which was Dark Discoveries. And then later on in Catching Up, and later on it got chipped away even further by Brea Ethereum Shaper's lore. And now it's just, it's a thing that exists, but not a lot of people acknowledge it or really care about it because they know that it is not canon. And then there are secret exceptions, which come about when people want to acknowledge things, but don't have a clear avenue, or don't have the most popular avenue to do so. A great example of this is the Tazeret Planeswalker deck in Aether Revolt has a little blurb in it that recanonizes Tezzeret's origins from Test of Metal, but not the plot from Test of Metal, obviously, because it was just like a little origins blurb. So Tezzeret's origins from Test of Metal have been re-acknowledged, so they're kind of pushed up in credibility. Does that mean that they're officially recognized? Who knows? We can't really say. And then Duel's Origins, which was the Magic the Gathering Duel's game as of a few years ago. But specifically, the Duel's Origins campaign had a re-acknowledging of a detail from the Purifying Fire that had been noted by a lot of people as absent in Gideon's Origins, which was that Hexus had a Planeswalker mentor. That wasn't in the origin story, but it ended up in the duels game. So they had revived that detail and left it for community members to find. Nobody did. (laughs) They left it for them to find. And it's re-acknowledging previous canon and bringing it into the new era without being in the main magic story. So if you're confused by any of this, join the club. (laughs) It's a very, very difficult system to navigate and that's where we kind of end it comes down to what you think is respectable some people are different from the people on this cast and they believe that different things should be weighed with um they think pre-revisionist material should be weighed with a heavier weight should be weighed with more respect than they currently have 
and they are very, very free to do that. But as far as Magic Story goes, that's my understanding of it. So circling back around to why we're talking about this now in the middle of Core 2019 is specifically because of the Elder Dragons. So I jokingly mentioned earlier that there are about two official sentences on the Elder Dragons. The issue is, in the past, a fan, not unlike the three of us, dedicated to pulling together all these disparate elements of lore, went and talked to people and gathered information that was kind of behind-the-scenes information. None of it was really sourced. I mean, it had been acknowledged by the continuity manager, but it wasn't. It was all hosted on their third-party website. And that's where almost everything about the Elder Dragons and the Elder Dragon War came from. Officially, there had been almost nothing printed about it. But when people are upset about the canon of Core 2019, this is why this hierarchy is important, because none of that other stuff was really canon. It was about as low on this tier as you can get without having Mark Rosewater say it. Yes. <laughs> Just kidding about that one. Just so everyone is aware, especially with like pre-revisionist lore, the internet was in its infancy as Magic's lore was getting together. Wikis, like game wikis, weren't really a thing yet. And so canon was almost a, it was almost an oral tradition across forums that popped up and shut down within the span of a couple years each, especially early on. So a lot of information got ported between different forums. Different people would essentially state something and it would get transmitted as canon. And then when the wiki appeared, the first thing people did is go back to these forums and just copy and paste informational stuff with no regard to citations, to authenticity, and that's how things like Guybrush Th Threepwood, who's the main character from the Monkey Island games, got listed as a planeswalker because no one critically evaluated. To the point that this year, Carrie and I are still eliminating planeswalkers from the wiki who are never in canon in any text. I think we're officially down to everything that's been recognized. But yes, our last kill was Marduk Blackwater who had fought with or against Adam Carthalian prior to the events of the Wayfarer comics, and where we knew that from was somebody who had talked to the author of the Wayfarer comics. It's Yeah, it was background that didn't appear in the comics. Like, we read the comics back and forth, thinking we were crazy, and could not find this character, and that's because it was a character in the author's head for the backstory of this one character. Not anything that appeared in canon. If you want to see what those old forums were like, one of them that had fell into disrepair just went back up, frexia.com. You can find all kinds of comments about all kinds of old stories from the authors interacting with the fans, and a lot of what was said on frexia.com made it to the wiki unsourced and unsighted and has been plaguing Vorthoses for a long time. It's actually kind of exciting that that website is back, because now we can go back and dredge up where a lot of these comments, some of which are true, a lot of which are fanon, originated. And the really funny thing about this is many staffers at Wizards of the Coast, usually after they've left, admit to using that wiki, so the the entertaining thing is this Vorthos zeitgeist, these ideas that are passed on as fanon, sometimes looped all the way around again and made it back into canon or at least into something that someone said in either a Daily MTG article or, or something along those lines yeah. where it's like, I'm, I'm pretty sure they read that in the wiki. I think Monty Ashley talked about that a little bit because they he did a lot of like little trivia segments on the website when he was yes. working on it and then the most notable one recently was with commander 2017 the dragon lore that came from the ur dragon episode of the magic story podcast cites 
pretty much what the wiki says, which was that the losers of the war were stripped of their wings and they became elder landworms. But then sometime after that, our friend Baron Boher had uncovered that statement that the losers of the Elder Dragon War were stripped of their wings and became Elder Landworms was actually a rejected flavor text <laughs> that had been mentioned in a Card of the Day article and ended up on the wiki and then got looped around, absorbed by a creative team to being included in that podcast. And you can see where it becomes kind of unclear as to whether that is a canon statement anymore because it was said in the Magic Story podcast but it's literally not said anywhere else that has seen print. So. <laughs> and the upshot of this whole thing is that if you're going to make claims about what is canon, what is not canon, please cite your sources, especially if you're going to edit the wiki. And understand that what you think of as canon might have been an author's who is not on the creative team's offhand comment on a random forum hidden away somewhere 10 years ago uh, that got repeated and repeated until people assumed it was in the actual text, and it just wasn't. I should note that our Segovia April Fool's joke was actually, not really a joke, but included this because... It was a the, very serious episode. <laughs> uh, because Nicol Bolas visiting Segovia was only mentioned on one of these forums as like an offhand comment like that. It was an event author. that had taken place in the novel, but he had revealed that the plane was Segovia, even though it was just a generic water world through the forum. So that is how we know, but it is also, yes, on the shakiest level of canon possible, because <laughs> that was a contracted author making that statement onto a forum. It's good enough for a joke. Exactly. <laughs> So let's move on to the Art of Magic the Gathering Dominaria. This book is really, really cool. Uh, I liked it a whole lot. I wish it covered my favorite continent a little more, which is Teresier, but it was mostly about Yavamaya. And I wish it covered Jamura a little more, because it'd be nice to know how especially Northwest Jamura is doing. But overall, this was incredibly detailed and incredibly well done piece, and it I think it's something that would satisfy both old and new fans. Andrew, why don't you talk about your favorite parts? Yeah, so we got a lot more information about what Dominari is like in the present day and clarification on some events in its past because a lot of the art book is pulled from the world guide. So we just wanted to each go through a couple of the neat things we learned from the art book that didn't appear in the story or articles or stuff. So the most important thing, if you only take one fact out of the art book, is that Empress Galena III is dead. She died during the Frexian invasion. She's toppled. Her regime is gone. She is a tyrant. And she rots at the bottom of the ocean and is great. There is nothing more vindicating than knowing <laughs> that it is canon now that she is confirmed dead. Because Vodalians are awful. If you read the section on Vodalians, they are terrible people. Most Vidalians suck. They are trash. They're awful. There are also lots of updates on what the Hummers are up to, and the biggest one is that they are still sparring with the Vodalians all across the plain and have been for 4,000 years deep under the ocean while everything else has been happening on the surface. They describe in the Vodalian section about how they're kind of civilization apart from the rest of Dominaria because the Dominarian merfolk don't have legs so they can't go on land. So they've been clashing with the Hummerids for literal millennia and it's just never mattered to the rest of the storyline because nobody in the rest of the storyline can go into the deep ocean trenches where these conflicts happen. But it also explains that as Yavimaya has expanded beyond the island itself, the mangrove forests have reached to the other islands of Terrasier and are starting to build up the land in the ocean as detritus falls from the trees. The Hummers are really pissed about this because they live in the ocean, and they routinely attack the roots of Yavimaya's mangrove forests. So they have a new war, essentially, 
on their hands against Yamamaya as well. So That was a detail I really liked, too. I was not expecting to get any update on Homerids, and we got more than enough, so a lot of this comes from the World Guide, so I assume those kinds of things were written by Kelly Diggs and Ethan Fleischer, so <laughs> thank you so much, guys, because just makes my day. There is also a bunch of stuff about phallid biology and culture. It describes them as lichen-like organisms, which is very interesting because in the real world, lichens are symbiotic organisms between a fungus and an algal plant. So they talk about phallids as having three different cell types, the fungus cells, the plant cells, and the sapperling cells. And the sapperling cells are what create the sapperling spores, which create the sapperlings. So I had talked a couple weeks ago about an idea of phthalid and sapperling reproduction and whether or not sapperlings were baby phthalids. So sapperlings won't grow up to be phthalids, but they are very specifically spores created from sapperling cells within phthalid biology. So they are offspring. They are genetic offspring in every sense of the word. They are phthalid children, but they are not phthalids. It's very weird and very wonky, which is, I guess, what happens when you artificially create a sapient fungal hybrid race using magic you borrowed from evil cultists. So, good job, Thelen. You really messed that up. Guess so. <laughs> That's a, a, a warning to all of you who are thinking of making a sentient fungus race. <laughs> Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> so my favorite bits, I'm just going to go through real quickly. This book finally tells us what the modern day date is. I know this sounds real nerdy, but like it is uh, kind of a big deal because they, being the creative team, would not tell us for the last decade it was very specifically something that has been speculated on for literally 10 years, where especially early on, uh, estimates ranged from anywhere from like 20 to over 100 years. So knowing uh, 100 years since the mending, then we learned it was about 60 years since the mending. And then we got the mending date, which was exactly 4500. And the art book tells us the modern day is 4560. So what's cool about this is we can remove a whole lot of asterisks from timelines and uh, we can say cool things like most of the modern magic story has taken place between about 4556 and 4560 and pretty much the entire Origins story, post-Origins and the Gatewatch has taken place in the same year. One of the other things I liked is uh, the information we got on Belzenlock. Kuber was his disciple, one of the Numena, and I think it's reasonable to assume the other Numena might have been as well. He was released post-mending by a ritual meant to summon a demon who could speak with Kuber after he had been destroyed, but Belzenlock disabused them of that notion because Kuber was a failed student of his and took over the Cabal instead. Uh, and I guess the, the power of the resurgence post-mending is what lent power to the ritual to let him break out. But importantly, it also notes that two mortal wizards from the past, Nevranal and Limdul, who you all know I have a number of theories about, are in fact more powerful than Belzenlock when it comes to wielding magic, which was a very interesting note, I thought. It also talked a lot about Shiv, uh, because we don't see Shiv too much in this, but there's a united Shivan nation uh, where the goblins, humans, Vyashino, and dragons all work together, and they all form this council together. That was pioneered by Joira and by uh, Deragaz, who was the former primeval. Uh, when we saw the card Deragaz re reincarnated, people were wondering if he remembered his previous lives, and he does a little bit. He's around 70 years old at this point, uh, in the modern day, I should say. And it also told us that a little bit more about Joyra making Teferi's Power Stone. Nothing in great detail, but one of our theories here where it was just like the ambient energy used to phase it back in. She basically distilled it until she had the spark again. That's kind of what's implied here. It doesn't really say specifically, but the answer is that 
she was a- she was basically able to draw it out using the mana rig. One last note, I thought it was a cute coy note because of the the giant Thran mega structures we see in all of Dominaria's art. The art book notes that Thran ruins are so common that no one even bothers to mention them anymore because they're a fact of life, which explains why no one mentions all these giant mega structures in any of the previous novels or stories on Dominaria. So Carrie, uh, what did you like about the art book? I won't lie. I've talked way too much this episode, and I also <laughs> really haven't gotten a chance to read it. I jumped straight to the end to see if there were any secret, secret story spoilers. And it is interesting that they put the emphasis on not that Bolas has acquired Liliana, which is stated in the story and elsewhere, but they really kind of hammered down that the Gatewatch got to leave the fight on Dominaria with a weapon that could be enough to defeat Bolas, which is the Black Blade. So they are really taking this kind of out-of-nowhere artifact that we had heard pretty much no word about for solid 20 years, because it was only appeared in the Dak and Black Blade comics, and then... It reappeared in Future Sight. As a yes, card, it reappeared in no future set with Coralash with no lore, and we figured out that Coralash was in between with this. But it's kind of just we had those ten year jumps, and now they're going all the way back to Legends for this character's weapon, and they're dragging it back to the present, and that will be what they use to defeat Bolas. It it feels a little off, but at the same time, Bolas is from that Legends era, so I guess it's only fitting. Who knows? I was just surprised that it was kind of not something specifically for Dominaria, and it was something that they were going to actually follow up on in future stories, or so it seems. And to be fair, we're we're major proponents of a theory that involves taking a character from 20 years ago and making him <laughs> secretly a relevant character for, true, for the true. last 10, so... So the one really cool new thing we saw here is artwork of Lord Windgrace that we have not seen before. For those of you who don't know who he is, he is a a panther warrior planeswalker who appeared in the Invasion novels and then reappeared in the Time Spiral novels. Well, we were doing a little digging, specifically on Frexia.com, and I realized when we talked about Windgrace last time, we mentioned he was a new character for the invasion, but that's not actually true. He's name-dropped in two stories. When we talked about the nine titans in a previous episode, we broke them up into two categories. There are returning characters that they dug up from the deep lore, and new characters they created as basically self-inserts from creative team at the time. And then we didn't know what to do with Lord Windgrace. And it turns out, he is another one of those deep lore planeswalkers. He gets name-dropped in two stories in the old anthologies novels that are collections of short stories. So the the first one, Tapestries, he gets name-dropped in the story What's in a Name? And then in the next anthology, Distant Plains, he gets name-dropped in the story Insufficient Evidence which is actually a really, really good story on its own. I just read it last week. So if you have Distant Plains, go read it. It's a good story, even though he only gets mentioned as some cat warrior god. That's exactly the same level of insight you get in what's in a name, so... Yeah, what's important is taken together, you learn that he is a planeswalker worshipped as a uh, god by cat, cat warriors. Which is exactly where Invasion picks up and the Windgrace Acolytes pick up. And it it's cool to see, for me, this character created just a name to exist in some short stories ended up getting fleshed out so well later and become a really important figure in Urborg's history and potentially future, because he's apparently infused his spirit with the land and whatnot. Magic does that really well. Characters like Ugin, Obnixilis, they're all like these minor background characters that years later... Ob has been, I think, one of my favorite victories because 
his growth from this throwaway legend in Zendikar to the villain he is now with multiple Planeswalker cards was largely based on player feedback that they liked his card and they liked his character and they wanted to know more. Creative in general for Magic is very good at listening to what the fans like and what the fans want to know more about. And Ob was one of those situations where they picked up on a desire to know more and years and years later finally paid off on those questions. I will tell you who my favorite one is, and it's kind of unexpected because I'm the post-mending person, but I have dug into Bolivar and his origins, like pre-Bolivar as a name, when he was Cru- not Crucius, but Crucius, it was with an A instead, um, and he was another one of those characters that went from short anthology type story to just a planeswalker within like we knew that he had um been connected as of the story but it kind of made a clean arc from his anthology story to his finale in the invasion storyline and in contrast to Windgrace, who was kind of just like a more secret character it's pretty cool to see both ends of that represented where it was a main character or just a hinted at character who they able to fully flesh out so the the anthologies that were developed in-house at Wizards, so all the anthologies that aren't Tapestries and Distant Planes, they deliberately seeded characters for future storylines in them uh, with story reveals. So that was, that was a pretty cool touch in that era. So people would get very hyped when they appeared again. So what we should note is the reason we're talking about this artwork is because we think it's, he's going to be one of the Commander 2018 planeswalkers so the reason for this is it was a it's a planeswalker aspect ratio and lord Windgrace is like dead like his his spirit is in urborg but that's this is very clearly a cat in a jungle in like the prime of his life this is not a he's not coming back into the main story so like Freyalise, he is probably going to be a dead character that finally gets a card in the Commander 2018 product. So that's about all we had time to talk about today. Uh, we really wanted to get that excellent discussion on canon in from Carrie, and I think we made really good use of this empty July 4th week for content. <laughs> so I hope you all enjoyed it. Just an end-of-episode reminder that we, the Vorthos cast, are now on Patreon, www patreon.com slash the Vorthos cast. So if you want to help support the show, get some goodies for doing it and get involved in the Vorthos community a little more, we send thanks from the gods of every plane for those who choose to support our little show over here. This has been the Vorthos cast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>